Who has the power of conviction that brings confession and healing? Here's Pastor Ed Ray with the answer. God is big enough to get a hold on us, slow me down, to actually pull me in by the Word of God. It's a healing thing. The gift of conviction is a gift. I'm guilty, Lord, please forgive me, is confession. But the, wow, I am guilty, is a gift from God. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Conviction is a firmly held belief about something. It's different than just feeling guilty. In distinction to conviction, someone said that guilty is never enough to make you change, only enough to make you feel bad. Reminds me of Woody Allen who said, when we played baseball, I'd steal second base, feel guilty, and go back. Well, all kidding aside, conviction is a good thing as opposed to just feeling condemned. It's in part how God brings about the needed changes in our lives, that's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Pastor Ed is in Hebrews chapter 4 today, and it's there we learn how to enter God's rest. Conviction is one of the keys to doing so, along with mercy and grace. We begin with another key ingredient, God's Word. God's Word changes us. It trims us. That's the way Jesus said it. John 15, 2, every branch in me, in Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So God's Word is pruning those of us who know him. It's pruning us, dead wood that's not producing any fruit, not bringing about any new life in other people. The Bible's piercing quality is the source of all that. So, it catches us unexpectedly. George Whitfield was a Billy Graham of the 1700s. He came to the eastern United States and preached, and there was a group in England of atheists in that day called the Hellfire Club, and they would come and they would mock speakers, and they took on George Whitfield, and they would sit right in the front row, five or six of them, young men from Oxford. They were thespians, they were actors, and then after he had finished a paragraph or a concept, then one of them would stand up and repeat to the whole crowd the exact thing that he said with the exact voice inflections and kind of like, you know, we might hear a comedian do today. So they're doing this at this one particular event. Whitfield just stepped back and let the young man do it. The young man later wrote, a strange thing happened while he was copying Whitfield. Suddenly, he himself was so pierced by the message that he quickly stopped and sat down. And later, after the meeting was over, he would give his heart to the Lord. What happened? He was mocking Whitfield, but he had no idea that the words that Whitfield had said were the Bible. He was quoting a long passage from the Bible. This guy gets up to mock Whitfield, and he repeats the Bible, and the word went out, and boom, came back and hit him. 
the Word of God is alive. It is living, and it's a piercing sword. So, one other concept here, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word discerner is where we get our English word critic. The Bible is a critic of me. Put it on myself. It, in fact, is an infallible critic. It speaks truth into my life, and it sifts me, and it analyzes my motives, and there's very few things that a person does that their motives are pure in, and that's what the Bible begins to put its fingers on. This is what the way David wrote it in Psalm 139, verse 2, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. Jeremiah 17, 10, God speaking, I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. That's an uncomfortable thought. God reads my mail. He reads my thoughts before they come out my mouth. But what becomes more and more fascinating about this particular line of reasoning is that in spite of that, he says boldly, come, hang with me. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is not helping me, Pastor. God sees everything in my life. I'm standing naked before him and open. The word open is even a difficult one. Tracheozy. Tracheozy is uh, where we get our English word tracheotomy. You know, cut a hole here. And a tracheozy was done on a prisoner. That They'd grab your hair and pull you back if you're standing before a judge so your neck is exposed. Naked and open. Tracheozy, tracheotomy. Expose the neck in preparation to beheading, same term, okay? God is big enough to get a hold on us. That's the point. Slow me down to actually pull me in by the Word of God. Again, it's a healing thing. The gift of conviction is a gift. I'm guilty, Lord, please forgive me, is confession. But the, wow, I am guilty, is a gift from God. 14, seeing then, here it begins to ease up a little, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. All of a sudden he says, but Jesus understands this because he came to earth and he suffered temptation and he resisted temptation and now he passed through the heavens and he sits at the right hand of Father God. Okay, so again, it's written Jews to Jews about the Messiah. High priest is still in the city of Jerusalem at this moment that this was written. And on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he would go up to the Temple Mount and he would walk through the court, and then he would walk through the holy place, the area inside the building but not into the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and then he would pass into the Ark of the Covenant with the blood of a, of a scapegoat on his, not to be put on the mercy seat. Okay, so that's the, the picture. But Jesus 
did this going to heaven. Again, this is a little obscure, but this is my take on it, and you can disagree with me. You'll be wrong, of course, but you can disagree with me. So as a high priest, he passed through the heavens, and for the Jews, there were three heavens. The birds fly in the first heaven. The stars, the planets, the sun, the moon are in the second heaven. And the heaven of heavens, or the third heaven, is where uh, the Son of God is in the throne that it's talking about here. So Jesus has gone through all these things, and he has heard everything, and he has experienced everything. So we shouldn't worry about the tabernacle in heaven is, uh, was depicted by the tabernacle here on planet Earth. Don't know if it's physically the same kind of a picture or not, but that's the idea. Let us hold fast, and this means in the middle of danger to grab onto something, the confession, what we say. What we say is very important to God. Every word, <laughs> that's a scary one too, isn't it? Every word I've ever said, every word that came out of my mouth and every word that didn't come out of my mouth that I had enough brains at the moment to shut up, God saw all of that. But he also heard the confession, I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus died for me. He died on that cross and took the punishment that I deserve. If I would say with my lips that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, I'm saved. That's what Romans 10 says. Jesus said that if you would confess me before men, then I will confess you before the Father. The words I say to other people are important. So hold fast to your confession. Uh, he's talking to these Jews who were worried about that. They said Jesus was Lord, and now they're going, can't we just slip back into Judaism? Nobody will be against us, and we'll be okay. No, hold on to it, because what you say before men is important. Verse 15, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. God understands we're under pressures, we're being tempted, and we want to fold like a cheap lawn chair. But in all points, he was tempted as we are. He understands he didn't sin. That's a fascinating statement when you take that apart. So he had the same temptations that you and I did for 40 days, you remember. He's fasting, and Satan said, wouldn't you like to have a nice uh, loaf of bread? Look, it would look just like those big stones over there. You could have a, a loaf of bread 100 pounds. Well, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. Was it tempting? Yeah. But every single day of his life, he never gave in. So his temptation was much worse than anyone that I've ever had. Because I've given in over and over again. And that takes the pressure off. And you start, you reset the clock, you start over again. If you never sin in a certain area, it just keeps building that pressure. Same whispers in your ear. Now, temptation is not sin. Satan has your number. He has my number. And he will tempt us. But that's not sin. Well, I just had a terrible thought. Get behind me, Satan. Satan is trying to do you in. Right? So don't be pulled in. So somebody asked me last night, did Jesus just not sin because he was God? Or did he do it in spite of the humanity? 
I can't tell you for sure. The Bible doesn't say for sure. It does say that he was tempted and that he didn't sin. Did he have an advantage because he was God and could see all things? You would think, but I, nobody can say with certainty. So commentators, you can read the commentaries, and everybody has an opinion, but the Bible does not say. It's a little bit like what Luther said, when the angels want a good laugh, they read the commentaries. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. He's emphasizing the wisdom in sticking with the clear teaching of the Word. To continue now in Hebrews 4, verse 15, with another illustration underscoring how Jesus can sympathize with our struggle, here again is Pastor Ed. This idea of sympathy, sympathizing, understand where we're going to, uh, the classic story that I think is worth repeating is of a little boy. He's walking down the street. He's nine years old, walking down the street, and he sees a sign beside a gate of a house, and it says, puppies for sale. Any nine-year-old would stop, and he goes in, and he knocks on the door, and a guy comes out, and he says, yes, son, what can I do for you? He says, uh, I want to know how much your puppies are. He says, they're 25 bucks a piece. And the kid said, oh, I don't have that kind of money, but can I see them anyway? He said, sure. And so he whistles, and out from behind the house come all these Dalmatian puppies, and they're jumping all over this kid, knocking him down and licking his face and all that sort of stuff, and he's giggling away. And then around the corner comes one last puppy, and he's dragging a leg. Got a bad leg. He said, hey, mister, what's wrong with that puppy? He said, we had it x-rayed. He was born without a hip joint. The ball and socket are missing, and so he'll be like that all his life. He said, how much for the puppy? He said, son, you didn't understand me. He'll never be able to walk. He said, well, I want that puppy. He said, well, why would you want the puppy that's crippled? And he pulled up his, and he had a brace on. He had polio as an infant, infantile paralysis. And he said, well, because I understand. And that puppy needs a lot more love than these other puppies. How much? <laughs> the guy just melted and he said, he's sure, take it. That's who Jesus is. He sympathizes with the pressures on your life. Verse 16, therefore, since that is true, that that's who he is, then let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Okay, to me, that's the, the pivot point, the fulcrum of this whole section. Let us therefore come boldly. Boldly, without doubt or fear. Some people struggle with that word, but almost every translation I could find uses the word boldly for a simple reason. That's what it means. Meta parasizo. Meta means greatly. Parasizo was a Greek word for freedom of speech. The Athenians were very proud of the right to go into the marketplace, the agora, every morning Instead of having newspapers, they'd stand on these boxes and they would say whatever they felt about the government or about the, the merchants or about the farmer or about the, the police, soldiers. And it's where we in America got the concept of freedom of speech. So what this says in the Greek language is, let us therefore come with great freedom of speech to the throne of grace. God's throne is of grace, and when we get there, He encourages us. This is the Holy Spirit. He's encouraging us 
to speak what's on our mind. Now, grace erected this throne, and grace reigns on this throne, and grace is handed out to anyone who would come to that throne. Grace is God's unmerited favor, undeserved gifts from his hand, that we don't earn it, he just gives it because it's his character who he is. And it's not just grace. You also get mercy and help in the deal. Well, what's the difference between mercy and grace? They do overlap. But mercy refers to God's tenderness towards us because of the misery caused us by our own sins. We shoot ourselves in the foot, and then it hurts, and then we cry out to God. Mercy for my failures, for your failures. Mercy is that God lets us off the hook. He gives us another chance. How many chances? How many stupid mistakes can I make? What? He's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the gazillionth and second chance and third chance and on and on. That's not to say that we have a license to sin, but when we do, because we're going to, we run to the throne of grace and confess our sins, say the same thing God does. That's what confession is. And then he forgives us. Grace refers to his undeserved favor in freely forgiving our sins every time. Every time, Pastor? Every single time. Grace is the work that God does in our hearts. It's the result of him forgiving our sins, and God's strength comes into us, John 1:16. Of Jesus Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. He keeps forgiving us over and over again. Even though I deserve judgment, 2 Corinthians 5.18, God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins, their iniquities, not counting them against them. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Old Testament. Flow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Are you liking this? For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him, have reference humble themselves before him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, he convicts us. It's a gift that God gives me. That was wrong, Ed. Go make it right. But he does not condemn us. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment on your sins. As long as you and I say the same thing God says about it, that was sin. That's what the word confess means. We looked at it last time, hupo mundi. So he is, in fact, confession. 
we are confessing our sins, and He is forgiving our sins. So we have mercy, we have grace, and then the word help in time of need. Help here is a nautical term, and it means to bind up something that's about ready to break. It's used in Acts 27 when Paul's in a ship that's about ready to break up in a storm. It says they used cables underneath the ship to pull it together so it wouldn't break up in the storm. God uses cables to help you get it together. That's what he's saying here. To help bind us up in time of need. Now, time of need is not a precise translation. Here's what G. Campbell Morgan said about time of need. I'm never tired of pointing out that the Greek phrase translated in time of need was a colloquialism in the first century, which means in the nick of time today, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the nick of time. Grace, just when and where I need it. You are attacked by temptation. At the moment of the assault, you look to God, and the grace is there to help in the nick of time. There is no postponement of your petition until the evening hour, but there is in the city street with the flaming temptation in front of you time to turn to Christ with a cry of help, and grace will be there in the nick of time at just the last moment. Ever been there? Whew. That was a close one. <laughs> Jesus, could you, you know, make the nick a little bit bigger so that I don't get right up to the edge and I think I'm going over? So, call out to God. He hears and will give you what you need. Sir Walter Raleigh was famous for going to the Queen of England and asking her for things over and over again. And finally, one day in frustration, she said, Walter, will you please give off? Stop asking me. Don't you see that it will happen? When will you stop doing this? And he said, when you stop giving. That's the right attitude with God, because he'll never stop giving. We just have to keep going and asking him, all right? Careful for what you ask for. Here's the flip side of that. We'll close with this. There was a skylark, a young one, who really enjoyed flying, but he enjoyed eating more. And he was uh, walking alongside a stream looking for worms, and he looked up, and there was a, a fisherman who was pulling big, fat worms out of a mud bank. And he walked up to him, he said, hey, can I have some worms? And the fisherman said, well, what do you have that I need? He said, I don't know. All I got is feathers. He says, you know what? That'll work. I need some feathers for arrows, for my bow and arrow. He said, okay, well, how much do you want? He said, I'll give you two worms for a feather. So he struck a bargain, and the bird gulped him down, flew off. He was happy as can be. The next day, he was flying with an older bird, and they were talking about going south for the winter. It was getting a little bit colder. And uh, the old guy said, well, you know, the great thing about us skylarks is we have really strong wings, and we can, as soon as it gets too cold, we just go south and enjoy the Bahamas. And so be careful with your feathers, because they hold it all together. But the little skylark, the young one, didn't hear him, because he saw the fisherman down there again. And he flew down, and he asked for four worms, and pulled out two of his feathers and gave it and flew off. And that happened for a couple of weeks in a row. And then all the skylarks got together, and they're ready to go south. And the young one tried to flap his wings to go with him, and he couldn't lift off. He had sold his freedom for worms. You're not eating worms, are you? Challenging question Pastor Ed Ray has given us to ponder today on Grow in Grace. 
that we wouldn't trade away our freedom in the Lord. If the gift of conviction is kicking in, then make your way to God's throne of grace for mercy and grace to help you in the nick of time. Right now we're traveling through Hebrews, one verse at a time. Thanks for taking part in the journey. If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get out the good news of Jesus to a world in need. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Say let this world know me by your